Welcome everyone uh, to Drisha's spring program. And this is the final class in this series, Divrei Dever, Responsa in Plague Time with Rabbi Zatir. We encourage everyone to turn on your videos if you are able. Um, we would love to see you as if we are uh, together, just uh, like we used to be in classes before the pandemic. Uh, feel free to also uh, unmute to ask questions or write comments uh, in the chat box here on Zoom or as a comment on Facebook if you're watching us live. Would love to hear from you. And with that, I'll turn this to Rabbi Zakir. Okay, thank you, Evie. And um, so, yeah, this is our this is our third and final part of our series on different responses in plague time. Our first week, we looked at uh, Rabbi Akiva Eger in the 18th century and the cholera epidemic. Our uh, our second session went uh, back a few centuries to the Rashbash, and uh, we looked at some of his theological reflections on whether one is obligated to uh, to uh, watch themselves, to take care of themselves in, in during a pandemic. And today we're we're moving to the present. Um, unfortunately, as uh, as we're all too aware of, we've been uh, we've been uh, in under plague time uh, under the under the COVID pandemic for over a year now, uh, even as things are getting better. And we're going to look at some of the writings of Rev. Usher Weiss about doing tshuva. Uh, whether one should do tshuva or whether one has responsibility for infecting someone with COVID and even causing their death. Um, and uh, of course, that, uh, you know, we'll, yeah, well, let's talk a bit about the question. We'll talk about a bit, bit about Ravasha Weiss and then we'll jump into the tshuva. So, by definition, um, uh, you know, communicable diseases are spread from person to person and uh, you, can, you can trace how they were spread. You can find the cause, you can find the, you know, the person who, Spread it in theory. You know, you can find the person who spread it to the next person, and uh, and that would entail, um, you know, theoretically someone who's responsible for someone else's uh, someone else catching the disease and whatever resulted from that at some level. And so, so like on a, on a technical level, in terms of the causality, you probably could reconstruct that. At the same time, in terms of the uh, you know the challenge that a person has, people, you know, if pe people, you know, should people feel a sense of guilt? at infecting others? Um, should they, you know, should there be a way of calming them, of, of uh, consoling them over their guilt or, you know, or affirming it? What's the best approach here? So there's a pastoral question, aside from the physical causation question, which I think we know very well, there's a pastoral question here. And there's also, of course, the halachic question. Is someone halachically responsible, um, you know, for the damage they cause others by spreading them a disease? Does that depend on the circumstances? Were they um, you know, were they, uh, did they spread it intentionally or by accident or not? So these are some of the questions we're going to talk about today. Um, this is, I, I haven't seen this discussed in too many places, but Rav Asher Weiss does, uh, does discuss it first in, in uh, some shurim he gave a, uh, I guess almost a year ago and more, and he, he published it uh, in, in a tshuva uh, first online and then in print. So we're going to be looking at that here. Just a few words about Rav Asher Weiss. Um, he's, you know, he lives today in Ramot. He's from Borough Park originally, a, a Kleisenberger Chassid um, in his uh, in his 60s, and he's really emerged in the last couple of decades as a leading posek. Um, you know, he himself is Hasidish and part of the uh, Haredi world, but um, many people in the modern Orthodox community have also been uh, citing his his response. So the OU has made him one of their go-to poskim as well. So he has a pretty broad range and in the Datilumi world uh, too. So he has a fairly broad range. He's published many, many volumes of Minchas Asher, which is his, his writings on, on the Parsha. Um, on, uh, not only on the Parsha, he has Shut, he has different responsa, several volumes of responsa. And uh, most recently, he published a volume of responsa on COVID issues that he, that he dealt with. A wide variety of things, halachic issues, more theological issues as well. And our, our topic today has a bit of a mix between the philosophical and theological too. Um, so we'll take a look at, at that. And um, you know, aside from he, you know, he has a, he has a a, a kolel and, and he serves on a bezdin or he runs a bezdin and is involved with different hospital shilas. So he's really very active across the range of issues within the Jewish community. All that being said, let's jump in now. I'm going to share a screen with the chuva. Really, two different chuvos. That are are uh, part, you know uh, sibling chuvos that he he writes on. Um, 
I included the cover of the online, the online version of the book. Right, different issues relating to the pandemic. Um, this was published in Sivan Tavshin Pei. So this was published online a year ago. So he, he dealt with these issues, I guess, uh, soon before then. And since then, Minchas Asher on Corona has been published. All this was, you know, this is the Madura Tlisa, the third, third uh, edition. So they put together the three editions and, and publish it in a physical volume. I've still not been able to get my hands on a copy, but hopefully soon. In any event, so there are a couple of typos in this because it's like a preliminary edition, but we'll ignore those. And it, you know, if you can get your hands on the physical, uh, the physical copy, I'm sure they're solved there. And let's jump into our issue. So topic is Midas HaAchrayus. And I'm always not sure whether to do uh, Ivrit or, uh, or Ivris for Rashi Weiss, who himself switches back and forth when he teaches um, but let's let's do let's do uh, uh, here. The degree of responsibility for a sick person who infected others with the disease. And so this right. So this is going to be about the degree of responsibility halachically that one has. Right? We've already spoken about, and this appears already in the volume. Um, about the importance of staying away from other people during a pandemic to avoid it spreading. We still need to figure out what degree of responsibility someone has if they end up infecting others. Can we expect, can we uh, impose a responsibility on a person to stay away from, from others if they're sick or might become sick in order to avoid spreading the disease. So that's the issue here. And now he gives a little bit of context in parentheses, so, but, uh, but this is a real life issue. Someone came to me broken hearted. He works in an old age home, a nursing home. Someone in his family got sick with Corona. He was supposed to stay home, but he broke the rules and came in to work anyway. Even though, you know, he said, I'm wearing a mask. I stay, I'll stay away from, um, uh, from those who are in the old age home. I shouldn't spread it. But a few days later, he got sick because I guess he had been in touch with his family members. He got sick. Some of the residents of the nursing home got sick. One of them even died in this sequence. And apparently, this person, this person who, who runs or works in the nursing home, is the cause of one of the residents catching the disease and ultimately dying. And his, his, you know, his heart is, is in pain. Maybe he killed this person. Maybe he's he's responsible for this person's death. So let's look, says Rashi. Let's look now at the degree of responsibility that someone has. Right, someone who has a uh, a contagious disease. Oh, If you're sick, if you have something, let's say you have the flu, you have an obligation to stay away from others, or no. The world continues as it always does. Maybe you'll say, you know, just business as usual. And I'm not doing anything. I'm just walking around. And if other people get sick, then that's not my problem. Or maybe something, maybe a middle position, right? That you're, you're not, uh, you're not going to go, you're not going to go and talk right in someone's face or sneeze in their face. It'll take some precautions. But you know you don't need to stay home. Maybe you can still go around and, and you know business more or less as usual, uh, as long as you're taking some precautions. We're talking about this is a natural disease. Right? It's not my problem. It's a it's a it's a it's a uh, natural disease. If if God wants someone to die, they'll die. If not, they won't. Right? And there's some echoes here. Of the view that the Rashbash was critiquing last week, right? That um, you know what will happen will happen. I'll either live or die. That's already been decided on Rosh Hashanah. What I do doesn't matter. I don't need to take, take precautions here. It slipped a little bit. Here it's not 
whether I die or not doesn't matter. It, it's been determined. Now it's whether the other person dies or not has been determined, and I don't need to take precautions. And uh, just like the Rosh Bash critiqued that view, uh, in ju you know justifiably based on various chazals, Rav Asher will do similarly. So he says, um, or well, he's still he's still on the question. He's still on the a view he's going to critique. So he says the Asher Chazal never by your kanes Right? We saw this last week when there's a plague in the city. Hold in your legs. You know, stay home. That's nice advice. You want to not get sick, stay home. But you have to stay home. You don't need to change your life so other people don't get sick. Just keep, you know, keep uh, doing your regular routine. There's no obligation otherwise. So that's the view he's going to critique. No, this is wrong. You clearly have the responsibility to prevent damage to others, as will prove. And here's the main source. He's going to use the name Akar Rishon B'Shel Azov B'Sefer Chasidim. What's the word Sefer Chasidim? Chasidim Ashkenaz in the medieval period, and it says the Feiver Lo Titen Mechshol Shlo Yerchatz Adam Shu Mukeshchin Im Yehudi Acher Elim Kin Yodi Anu Shemar Vav Tel Reicha Kamocha Uktiv Lo Tamar Adam Reicha. Quotes three different verses. Right? Don't put a stumbling block before the blind. Love your fellow as yourself. Don't stand idly by your fellow's blood. These three sukim. Uh, justify the view that a person shouldn't take a bath uh, along with someone else if they have shrin, uh, some sort of boils that I guess is communicable. And so you shouldn't take a bath with them because you'll get them sick. At the very least, you have to tell them, you know, okay, we're using the same bathhouse. You should just know I have shrin. It might spread to you. Take necessary precautions. You have to at least tell them before you do that. Why? Because of these three psukhans. You have to stay away from the bathhouse, change your normal routine because you might get others sick. If you do go and people get sick, you violated the Thegiver, you violated and you have not fulfilled right? And those are the three quotes. Let's go into a little bit of detail on each of these mitzvahs. Here's the Gemara in Sanhedrin. Right? How do we know if you see someone who's drowning, or an animal is ripping him apart, or he's being robbed, being uh, you know uh, highway robbery, subject to highway robbery, that you have to save them? It says, "Don't stand idly by your fellow's blood. You have to save their life." Why, why do we need that? Why don't we learn it out from the from Hashavas Aved? If you need to return a lost object, certainly you should re return a, a lost life. And uh, the answer is, well, to save someone's life, you even need to spend money, uh, even if it'll cost you to save their life, you need to go yeah. out of your way and do that. That's the Gemara and Sanhedrin. Yeah, Richard. Um, right, you have to need, right, you have to even spend, right, so that's, that's, Richard, you have a question? No? Okay, yeah, do, yeah, feel free to jump in. No, no, you, you were just frozen. Was, uh, ah, okay. There was no transmission. So. Oh, uh, I could see. Richard, did you want to? Did you want to ask something, or was it just? I think Richard's good. Okay, okay. it looks like there may have been a technical so. issue, possibly on Richard's side. But let's let's continue now. Um, if if people, if I do become frozen, uh, feel free to uh, let. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so let's continue. So that's the Gwarnson Sanhedrin. The Gwarnson Sanhedrin says you have to save someone's life and even pay money in order to do that. It's a positive commandment. If you have to go out of your way and even spend money to save someone else's life, certainly you can't actively go and endanger their lives. That seems clear. So, so but what? But it gets a bit more. So that's in terms of that seems pretty clear. But what about the next passage? And not putting a stumbling block before the blind. Kasav mechaschina, shechazal hotzi mikrazem idei pshuto, or should be hotziu probably. Upershu rak b'machshil as chaveru be'iser. The mechaschina says, chazal interpret lo lefneiver losite mechshol. Don't leave a stumbling block in front of the blind. They say, what does that mean? It does. Lefneiver don't give non-kosher meat to someone if they're going to eat it. Something like that. So according to the mechaschina, it no longer has its. It's a literal meaning of not placing a stumbling block. Right? And he quotes the Gemara. Don't give a non-Jew uh, food they can't eat or a, a Nazir food he can't eat. Um, 
So according to Minchas Chinuch, it stops taking its literal meaning of putting a literal stumbling block that might endanger someone. No, I'm convinced against the Minchas Chinuch, and this is a, you know, many people dispute this, um, but he says, I'm convinced that you're high of, that you're, you violate not placing a stumbling block in front of the blind if you actually place a stumbling block in front of the blind or otherwise endanger someone. Just adding, it's just an extra prohibition. You know, it's also prohibited to, uh, to make someone, you know, to endanger someone's spiritual life, just like it is to endanger their, endanger their physical life. I think that's pretty clear from Sefer Hasidim. He says, you're violating with Naiver. Obviously, Sefer Hasidim thinks you violate with Naiver if, uh, if you endanger someone, like by going to the bathhouse when you have boils. Okay, so that's the second mitzvah. So we talked about <clears throat> we talked about lo samar lamriacha. We talked about peyivro sidi mechol. We got a mitzvah shahav lamriacha kamocha. Rabbiyot minchas asher vayikra. The Rambam pirish ain mahus a mitzvah virachshay leva bilvad. The mitzvah of loving your fellow. It's not just in the heart. It's not just you have to have feelings of love for your fellow. Elasheish lehetiv imabrios lishtad ligmal imam chesed. It means you have to act on it. You have to do good things. Other people come first with the of the sefer mitzvahs. If you have a mitzvah to help other people, mitzvah of chesed, the Rambam in a couple of places says the mitzvah of doing chesed comes from the So certainly you can't hurt people. That's you're violating your positive commandment to help them by hurting them. So those are that sefer chesedim. These are the three mitzvahs you violate if you don't take safety precautions. Lo and lift the Ibrahim Sidim Mikshal. That's for Sefer Hasidim, that seems clear. And we see, you, you can't just say, okay, I'm not going to go out of my way and endanger anyone, but I can still do life as usual. No, you can't. That's what the Sefer Hasidim is saying. You can't go to your usual bathhouse because you're endangering other people. At the very least, you have to tell them that you're endangering them by going there. Right? So, same thing here. You can't just go to your day job if the government, uh, the government uh, advises you to stay home uh, because, because of ex potential exposure to COVID, you can't say, well, I want to go to my day job anyway. You're, that's us because you're endangering people, right, to use our scenario. But there's a problem. He's going to raise a, an issue from the Ramah, the Ramah of Moshe Israelis on the Shulchan Aruch, and he writes, um, we're not going to read every word of this, we'll, we'll jump a bit, he writes, Ruvain rents a room to Shimon to live in his house, and then and before Shimon and his wife move in, um, then uh, there's an issue um, that, uh, right, Sh Shimon's wife, Shimon is about to move in with his wife to this rental house, and uh, Shimon's wife gets sick, and uh, Ruben's worried that his family will get sick. He wants to cancel the rental, because right, they're living, it's, it's, like a, it's like a room in a house, so they're all going to be in close quarters. He doesn't want to have him move in. Hazigar Masha, aim be other locks or bow. You can't pull out on your agreement. And he says, even if it's in ones, right? It's out of my hands that this person who wants to rent the house got sick. Uh, sorry, it's right. It's, it's it's Shimon's wife's, it's not Shimon's wife's fault that she got sick. It's in ones. Certainly, it's not a uh, certainly you can't back out. Uh, I can't back out uh, on your behalf. Um, um, you're saying, oh, well, it's dangerous. It's contagious. No, Hashem decides if you're going to get sick or not. You can't blame Shimon's wife. So you, so you can't uh, close her out of the agreement. If you're right that you absolutely need to stay away from people with diseases, then there should be no mitzvah bikr cholim. I can never visit the sick. You might catch it from them. Uh, maybe, and the only place we find that they say you shouldn't visit someone sick is Rasan, specific disease that's particularly uh, communicable or dangerous. But we don't see that generally you shouldn't do bigger homes it's dangerous. So apparently it's not dangerous. Also, if you find out after you get married, let's say a man finds out that his wife has some disease. That's not a cause for undoing the marriage, right? I didn't know you had this disease. If you, I'd known you had it, uh, that would, you know, that would ruin the marriage because I'm going to get sick from from being in close quarters with you. That's not true. We don't say that. We only say that for us. And again, some specific case, but in general, in general, 
disease is not cause for undoing a marriage, even though there, there theoretically would be risk of, cat, risk of catching the disease. The Kol Shkem Nino Lidan, certainly here, the Kol Yizeh Shkiach, Machmas Ipush Ha'avir Hanog Be'ir, Ha'hi, Ha'avah Midi the Shkiach, Be'im Ba'yizeh Shaloh Yashem Kol Yizeh, Demasi Kol Adam Adayte V'Nikon Neyem Asarikibo. Also here, it's not, this is not some special disease that just she has. Everyone knows it's the flu. Everyone gets it. And uh, you're probably going to get it. And that's what it is. Don't, uh, you know, you can't single her out. Oh, she has the flu. She can't rent my house, uh, my room now. Um, right? Everyone, everyone knows you're, you're in society. You're going to be exposed to the flu. That's just how it is. So you can't cancel the deal. So it sounds, the Ramah sounds like he's saying the exact opposite of what we've been saying, of what Rav Usher has been arguing, that... Uh, that it's prohibited to go about your normal business when someone is, uh, when, when you're sick, because it'll make other people sick, right? It sounds like you can go about, right? Shimon's wife or Shimon's family can go about their regular business and rent this house, go forward with it, even though they're putting other people in danger, because we're not really worried about that, as that's what the Ramah seems to be saying. He doesn't need a back out. You're nervous. Okay, you're nervous. That's your problem. That's not her problem. That's what it sounds like the Ramah is saying. It seems that these contradict what the Ramah said elsewhere. He says you should run away from a pandemic because it's dangerous, right? Etc. All these quotes of people who say to run away from a disease. If you don't Send your kids out of a city when there's bubonic plague. That's murder, like murder, because your kids are gonna your kids are gonna get it and might die. Obviously, moving your whole family is a pretty big tircha. You have to do that if you have to move your whole family. So why can't you be subject to a, a, a rental cancellation? Right? It seems to be a kavachomer. So how does what's going on in the Ramah? It seems like there's an internal contradiction in the Ramah. Three possible resolutions for the Ramah, and Rav Asher is going to actually like all of them as, as uh, valid distinctions. You should certainly be worried about getting sick. There's reason to worry you'll get sick, and yet it's not sufficient to cancel the contract, the rental agreement. Right, Rubain rented Shimon the house. They signed the contract. Now Shimon's wife is sick, so so uh, Shimon could say to Rubain, or Shimon's wife could say to Rubain, "You're worried about this this disease spreading. That's fair. It can spread. I might get you sick. So if you're worried, you can leave. We, I have rights to this room. I already signed the agreement. Why should I have to cancel the agreement? And why shouldn't you have to leave? So just because it's dangerous and spreads doesn't mean that that Shimon has to lose out. Maybe Rubain should lose out. And here's the proof. If it turns out that Shimon's wife was actually sick before they signed the contract, the contract is void. It's a mechanical It's a false agreement because Rubain never would have knowingly entered into agreement with, uh, with Shimon's family if he knew Shimon's wife was sick. So it's all, it's all null and void if, if uh, she had been known to be sick before. It's only because she got sick afterwards, right? Because if she's already sick afterwards, they already have the rights to that room. They have the, the, the uh, right to be there. So then who says that Shimon should have to move out? Right, you have to worry. Uh, you have to worry about disease, but it's not sufficient to cancel the agreement. That's distinction number one between the two Ramah's reasonings. Days, the second distinction. There's a difference between a person who's sick, who has you know who has a specific disease, and a pandemic or an epidemic. There's also different types of diseases with different degrees of risk and communicability. There's some diseases that you absolutely can't avoid unless you're totally quarantined, unless you're locked down. There are other diseases that, that you can spread them, but it's pretty easy to avoid them, right? Uh, unless there's very close physical contact of one sort or other, or exchange of fluids or whatever, it won't, uh, it won't transfer. So in those cases, then you know, everything's different. The point is, we shouldn't conflate all diseases. Generally, only the most communicable diseases 
lead to pandemics. Lefisa in Kostir, there's no contradiction here, right? Shimon's wife was just sick. She had whatever, she had a cold, she had something. It's not, it's not the most, it's not a most uh, dangerous thing. Whereas, um, whereas uh, in general, if there's a pandemic, that's very dangerous. You, you can't not get sick during a pandemic. Right? You can't say, oh, the rental is off because Shimon's wife is sick. No, Shimon's wife can wear a mask or whatever, and that'll be sufficient to avoid the spread because that's, you know, the disease she happens to have isn't too, uh, isn't, uh, isn't so contagious. So maybe that's a second distinction. And then the third possible distinction, Maybe if, if what Shimon's wife has is just a very common disease that's not so high risk, let's say the common cold, Shimon's wife got the cold. So, you know, your average person isn't too worried about the cold. If Shimon wants, if Ruben wants to be worried about his tenants having the cold, he should have built that into the, to the rental agreement. He should say, this rental agreement is only valid if none of the, you know, none, no one in the family has the cold. If they catch the cold, then the, valid, the, the agreement is invalid. Since Ruben didn't include that condition, he can't come in now and say that. So that's the third distinction between the cases. All these distinctions are accurate, are true, are sufficient reasons to distinguish. It seems like the main distinction is between a minor disease and the pandemic. There's different indications from the Ramah. That's the main distinction to make here. So we've, we've neutralized the Ramah, right? The Ramah, we've pitted him against himself and we've neutralized, we said, if a person just a little sick, then fine. You can still basically function normal, assuming you can contain, contain the disease. If there's a pandemic and it's very, uh, that's very uh, contagious and that's a real disease, then you need to avoid other people. And that would be sufficient reason to cancel the, uh, to cancel the, uh, uh, the rental agreement. Any questions to this point? Okay, so let's go forward. We're going to look at some other early accounts on, on responsibility for people getting other people sick and how the Ramad deals with that uh, in this first Shuvah. You have a doctor who's tending to patients during a pandemic, so he's getting a lot of exposure. The community is worried that he's going to spread it to them. They said, please don't come to Shul. If you come to Shul, you're going to get us all sick. Can they withhold? Can they hold him back from coming to shul because he's he's uh, going to spread the disease? He relates to this contradiction in the Ramah. Right. So his conclusion is the doctor can go to shul as long as he's in a separate section. Right, separate section by himself, not to expose himself to others. Likewise, Just like in in uh, in uh, in damages and torts, we say that if you have a burning coal, you better make sure your burning coal doesn't uh, you know fly away to someone else's field and burn it down. Same thing here. You have a communicable disease. You have a contagious disease. You better make sure it doesn't spread to other people. So you, you, the, the, this doctor can still go to shul, but it's their job to make sure that they're not actually exposing others. And um, fine. And then he says, let's talk about the proofs that the Ramah brought. The Ramah says this idea of hello, speaker colon, right? We never found that people should refrain from visiting the sick. Um, but why should you visit the sick? It might make them. It might get them sick. It might spread to them. And um, uh, and uh, so he responds. Right? And the only place where it says not to do that is the case is the case of Raz and or various diseases that are particularly bad. Um, and um, but he so sort of Usher points out we're not going to read his his uh, rehashing here. He says right. Why doesn't the right if if you have to distance yourself from other people when you're sick with certain diseases? Why does the Gemara not talk about that? The answer is. If you can prevent the spread, it's not prohibited. And then there's a mitzvah bikur cholim. So 
the point is the Gemara doesn't, or the Gemaras don't tell us specifically to stay away from people when they're when you're when they're sick or when you're sick that you don't spread it. Um, they don't spell that out because you know it's clear, and there are ways around it. The way around it is just make sure that you're sufficiently distanced and masked so you won't uh, there won't be any danger. That's why the Gemara doesn't mention not because it's not true. It's definitely true that you have to avoid infecting other people. Um, and then also he, he adds that there's that there's diseases and there's other diseases. Some are more harsh than others. Some there's more reason of staying away than others. Um, right. And then so what about his proof about uh, you know if you marry a woman and it turns out that if a man marries a woman it turns out that she has one of these diseases. It's not a mum. You can't say the marriage was on false pretenses. What's the reason? And the answer is number one. Maybe that would be if it was sufficiently problematic, right? If, if uh, you know, if being in close contact would be a danger to this person's life. We have some people like that who have uh, whatever diseases that are just sort of in their system and they have strep always. And if you're near them, you're going to catch strep many, many times. Um, so maybe that, you know, if there's real dangerous life, maybe that would be a reason it just happens to not be on the list. But even more so, um, he says, most diseases are temporary and you can, you can solve them. So the fact that you know, you, uh, a man gets married to a woman, turns out she's sick. Well, wait two weeks, put her on antibiotics, and then she'll be better. So that's not, that's not a reason to undo the marriage, uh, except maybe in some extreme cases where there's really a disease that puts him at risk uh, that wasn't disclosed. So those are, those are how he gets around uh, some of the proofs of the, of the Ramah. And now he's going to deal with a, a, a couple of views that seem to go in the opposite direction and try to respond to them. So he Schneeg Dole Galizia. Two of the great, uh, great scholars of Galicia, of uh, Hungary area, Agrash Derma, Bishop Eshtomov, Agrash Kluger, Danu Bedin Nizikin, Shalide Mafla Madabek. Let's talk about Nizikin. Let's talk about tort. Are you responsible to pay damages if you get someone else sick? And here, the case is not going to be people getting people sick. It's going to be about animals getting animals sick. But it should basically work the same way, right? Because um, if a person is sick and, uh, and incurs uh, medical bills or other damages that's at the end of the day that's 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 uh, financial uh you know that's a financial tort you'd have to pay the same with animals if an animal damages another animal you'd have to pay that so here's the case right Ruben has fields for his animals to graze Shimon rents uh rents grazing space from Ruben to bring his animals in there soon after Shimon moves in uh, to uh, to graze alongside Reuben's animals, uh, Shimon's animals start dying of, of plague. Gamshel Reuben, Gamshel Shimon. Actually, both of their sets of animals start dying. The very Reuben, his par loshes stay behemoth. So Shimon mesu oterem nechzul asanos Reuben. Ayishayim neguos v'machlam edebekes. Shimon came to avay Reuben and Shimon to be a kapula mekupel. Reuben says to Shimon, "You rented my field for your animals. We were going to be side by side, but I know your animals were already sick by the time you moved in because two of them died beforehand. So you." Didn't, didn't disclose this to me. You brought this, this uh, pestilence, this animal plague, this dever onto my animals, and you're guilty. You're guilty. Uh, you have to pay for the damages. Probably two things here, uh, or three things here. She is salikis behemos of miyad. Obviously, get your animals out because they're making mine sick. Number two, she ifatzel so al ovdan hachnaso, shreibali adirim, hacherim, shashamu sheish dever, edrav, badarav, hotsiwis behemosem, hacherim nimnu bliskor machomir bistosov. Also, the pay and compensation for all the lost rent because no one else wants to rent his fields now next to his animals because they're all worried about this based on what based on Shimon's animals dying so now no one wants to rent from Ruben so he owes him the uh, the rent for uh, you know for the foreseeable future and then third she most directly pay for the animals that died because your animals got my animals sick so is this true do you have to pay or not so the base Shlomo um, this Kacham of Galicia says that he's putter. Shimon is putter in the present case, right? Again, he rented a field from Ruvain. His animals moved in side by side with Ruvain's animals, and Ruvain's animals, all their animals start dying. And Ruvain claims Shimon's animals were sick first and had been dying before, and they got his sick. So why is he putter? First of all, the animals are dying, not directly, but they're dying through the uh, digestive issues. Um, right? One animal eats, a sick animal eats, its saliva gets on the grass. Now a healthy animal eats from that same grass. They ingest the saliva and they get sick. 
right? So that's the that's the mechanics of how it spreads, allegedly. So okay, Shimon's animals shouldn't have eaten it. It's Shimon's fault at the end of the day. It's not Ruben's fault. Oh, sorry, it's it's um it's uh it's Ruben's fault. Ruben's animals shouldn't have eaten the infected grass. Right? It's not Shimon's fault, it's Ruben's fault. Um, and therefore Shimon doesn't have to pay. That's from the Gemara Baba Kama. Um, if you eat something, right? If an animal eats something that was uh, poisoned and it dies, well, it's the animal's fault. It shouldn't have eaten the poisoned food. It's not the owner of that item's uh, fault. Right? That's the Gemara. It's not just if you put poison in front of the animal. Paris, if you put fruit, that's whatever, for whatever reason, the fruit is going to get him sick. You're potter, because the animal shouldn't have eaten the bad food. So it's the same thing here. The animal shouldn't have eaten the bad grass. That's first reason. Second, now Shimon denies that his animals died uh, died uh, beforehand of plague. He thinks they died of something else, whatever else it was, but they weren't sick when they came in. So if so, we actually don't know whose animals were sick first. Right? You have to prove, Ruben has to prove to Shimon that Shimon's animals were sick when he came in. So that's the second reason, right? So reason number one is Ruben's animals shouldn't have eaten the poison grass, but it's not Shimon's animals' fault. Reason number two, who says that Shimon's animals were even sick first? Maybe it was Ruben's animals that were sick first. And Gimel, third of all, this is not direct damage. This is indirect. Grama, right? This animal's sick. It spreads that animal. That animal dies. It's grama. It's not, not direct. And even though some forms of indirect damage, known as garmi, one is responsible for, by animals, garmi is usually involving people, animals that damage indirectly, one's always putter. That's the argument. It's grama, and you should be putter. So that's that's the argument from Beis Shlomo. We say familiar than Zikim like Rash Kluger, Matino Chuba Shikasav. He says similarly, Pasa Kavasa Liftar's Ruben Tashlumin. He asks similarly that Ruben is, um, sorry, Shimon should be his putter for for paying here. Um, they got the names mixed up. So Rav Asher Weiss is now going to argue with these reasons from these Achronim. He says the Ebedidi Talia. If this were up to me, Yesh Lada Mechol Shoshat Tamish Pupul Bahem Gdoli Olamela. There's reason to question all three of these. Argument number one, in terms of the havala shalotochal, right? The animal shouldn't have eaten the poisoned grass, um, but that's only true. Um, uh, that's that Gemara is talking about a case where the animal had no reason to be eating those fruits. It was not in its it was not in its own rishus. There was no the animal went out of its way and improperly ate these fruits. Turned out the fruits were poisoned. The animal died. It's the animal's fault. The whole point here is Shimon rented the field for the animal to eat. This grass is grass the animal should have been eating. So the fact that the grass was then poisoned by the saliva of these other cows and the animal ate it, that's not, that's not the Ruben's fault that his animal ate the grass. That's what it should have been doing. So the argument of Halachotokal is not valid. It seems simple, seems straightforward. Um, and, um, and also he adds that who says that they get sick from, uh, who says it's a digestive disease? Who says it's spread through saliva? Maybe it's spread, uh, right? Maybe it's a respiratory spread disease. Maybe it's through the air that they caught it, in which case this whole reason isn't applicable. So two reasons to throw away uh, objection number one. In terms of the Hotzi Mamun, the Umdina Ba'alma, there's a long question of, uh, which he doesn't get into, of if it's not clear, did A make B sick? Did B make A sick? It's not clear, and you should have to provide proof in order to uh, extract money in, in tort. So he has the whole essay on that elsewhere. Fine, it's not obvious that that's true here. And now, if you ask me in terms of direct, indirect causation, right? usually the difference between grama and garmi, indirect causation, that one's not responsible versus that one is responsible, it often depends on whether it's done by an animal or a person. So the question here is, who's doing the damage? So, so Ravasher says, it's not the animal doing the damage, it's the owner doing the damage at the end of the day. Let's say Shimon actually knew that his animals were sick with contagious disease. That's the garmi. It's not the, the, the causation isn't the animal eating the grass and the saliva spreading and that's the cause. No, the, the indirect causation we're talking about is Shimon agreeing or, or making this, this uh, deal to have his animals eat alongside Shimon's animals, knowing that they were sick. If he actually knew they were sick, that is Garmi. That's, in, that's 
indirect causation of the sort that one is responsible and you should have to pay. If you, through uh, uh, you know, full, fully irresponsible action, you're pshia, you're totally irresponsible, you cause damage to your fellow's uh, items, even if you intend it at all, if you're sufficiently irresponsible, that's garmi, and you should have to pay for that reason. Um, and then we're going to do this whole section outside because there's a lot to cover. Then he says, what about the factor that uh, diseases are, um, are microscopic, right? You spread, you spread your disease, whatever it is, uh, whether it's, uh, whether it's a cholera or COVID or whatnot, the actual cause of the disease is microscopic. It's a tiny, uh, you know, a tiny uh, bacterium, a tiny uh, a, a flu, a uh, little piece of flu and whatnot. So don't we have an idea in Judaism that things that are microscopic, you're not responsible for? That's the argument made. He, sa he says, let's say if there are little bugs in the water, New York City tap water has little copepods, tiny little uh, little uh, bugs, not bugs, uh, you know, forms of bacteria, I think. I'm not sure, they're in the water. And uh, if you drink tap water unfiltered in New York City, you're drinking, you're, you're ingesting them on a regular basis. Why is that not prohibited? You're eating, you're eating a non-kosher animal. So the answer that's given is that it's microscopic and you're exempt. So we should say the same thing here. The disease is microscopic and you should be exempt. Um, and, uh, and his response is, that's not relevant at all. True, invisible things are irrelevant in Isra in prohibitions of you know, kosher and the like. That's because our, we can't, the Torah isn't given to angels. We can't expect that you'll know things that you can't know, that you can't see with the naked eye. It doesn't affect damages, interpersonal damages. Right? The issue here, it, there's nothing special about microscopic or not microscopic. It's not like microscopic things are outside of the scope of Judaism. The point is, if it's microscopic, it's really hard to see. We can't expect you to be concerned for it. So that's true, maybe in terms of, you know, if there's a microscopic bug that there's no permission to eat, because we can't expect you to see it. But if something is microscopic, but you know about it, and it's going to endanger other people, like, for example, if you have COVID or your animal has a disease and you, you, you mix with other people and spread it to them, it doesn't really matter that the, the specific cause is really small. You're still, being, you're still uh, taking other people's life into your own hands. You're still endangering other people, and you should be responsible uh, for, for that. Um, so that's Ravasher Weiss, and that's what he, 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 he uh, settles on here. Um, the mice of grama. Finally, has an essay more on that. And then, in terms of um, in terms of doing shuva, we'll we'll see that in the next piece. But it sounds like what his what he says. He doesn't quite say it because he doesn't want to disagree with the achrona. But it sounds like uh, you know it's one of those um, if 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 you would actually have to decide, he would say that indirectly causing someone else to get sick um, or someone's animal sick, causing damage to someone based on spreading a disease, one would be monetarily responsible. So that's. Shuvah number one, and we saw, you went through all the, you know, the different Rishonim and Akron who would talk about this, and that's how, that's how things come out. You're responsible, even if it's too small to see, you're still responsible for your actions, um, and you can't say, I'm just going to go about my regular business uh, because of these mitzvahs of from and the Ramah, he has different ways out of the proofs of the Ramah, and the Ramah himself uh, is, he disagrees with himself, so those are the ways out. But now let's talk about whether you need to do tshuva or not. So he talks, again, he, he just repeats here the details of the story. Someone running a nursing home who, um, who thought he, who, someone in their family got, got sick. They were supposed to stay home. They thought they'd be fine. They go in and uh, they go in anyways. And then it turns out that both they get sick and people get sick and die. Right? He's broken. He's, you know, he's bringing his whole soul to this question. How can he atone for the sin? How can he find forgiveness and atonement? And he comes to Rav Asher and asks him, what do I do? What should I, how should I respond to this? And uh, so Rav Asher Weiss says, in this case, uh, this is one case, and he says, Let's say you got someone sick, not because you broke the rules and came in when you, when you were supposed to stay home, but the total ones, let's say, for example, people before anyone knew uh, how, how, uh, 
how uh, COVID spread and, and uh, how dangerous it could be. And people got other people sick early on, right? Some of the early super spreaders before anyone knew anything. It's certainly not their fault. Ones um, how what should you do? Kilo right? Or for whatever other reason, you're, you, there was no reason for you to be in in uh, isolation, or maybe even uh, right, or you didn't know you were sick at the time, and yet you got someone sick, and uh, maybe they even died. Well, the other nagif, you didn't even know you were exposed to the uh, to that virus. You need to do tshuva, and if so, how? What's the process of resolving this? So he says, Haim. We know, historically, we see many Rishonim, many great rabbis who have said that someone who kills even Bishkaga, even accidentally, right, not, uh, in, you know, not intending to kill anyone, but you kill someone unintentionally, you need to take upon yourself various fasts and um, mortifications, uh, forms of, of uh, you know, injuring yourself, Historically, many have said, in order to get tshuva, in order to atone for the sin. Generally, shogig, someone who makes, uh, you know, forgets some detail and violates the halacha, um, unaware that they're doing so, you're usually not punished at all. Let's say you violate Shabbos, you forget it's Shabbos, you think it's Sunday, and you light a fire. And so, in such a case, that's shogig, Shabbos. So you don't get a major onesh. What you do is you bring a carbon chatas. You have to bring a carbon for it. But that's all, right? But no, nothing more severe than that. However, if one kills uh, bishgaga, if someone kills someone else without realizing, unintentionally, accidentally, you get galus. You have to go into the, the Ari Mikla, the exile cities. We see that murder is the most severe violation, right? Not just murder is very severe in general, or killing is very severe, we know that, but in terms of how it relates to shogate, right? In terms of how it relates to not knowing, it's especially severe, right? And that makes a lot of sense because often uh, certain averos are bad because, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. It's a bad thing for you to do. It's the action that's bad, less than the result. In terms of killing someone, arguably, the result is a very, very significant part of what's wrong about it. So even if you do it for shogate, um, you, you know, there's still a very high degree of responsibility because you still caused this uh, horrific result of the person dying. Okay, so, um, and then he discusses some views. The Marsha says that Gullus, this exile, it's not actually a, a, a onesh or kapara. It's not really a punishment. It's not an atonement. The point of it is to protect you. But if you kill someone by accident, their relatives are able to kill you. So it's, it's a protection for you to go to the Yermikla to protect yourself. But that he thinks that's not really accurate. He thinks really, no, the better understanding is that it's based on, it's a punishment. Murder is terrible or killing is terrible, at least to the destruction of the world. Right? If you murder someone intentionally, um, even if you, your perfect, uh, perfect uh, record, keeping the Torah, everything else, you will pay. You will, you will, uh, you will not be saved from judgment. You'll be in very bad shape at the end of, uh, at the end of things. Because it's murder, it's really bad. That's intentionally, but even unintentionally, it's very bad, and that's why. You cause such a terrible result of a person dying. You therefore are punished with the pain of exile, a gulus, which is almost like the pain of death. I mean, you know, people could quibble with that, but the point is, uprooting yourself is a major. Is major form of suffering, and that's why you get it. But it's a punishment. That's the point. Killing someone accidentally deserves a major punishment. Because of the severity of killing, of spilling blood, you get punished even though it's just shogi. It's the exception against everything else in the Torah. And he says, There's different approaches throughout history, and he's going to survey this. Um, we're not going to go into all these details, both for reasons of time and otherwise, but it's just worth keeping in mind that historically, there was a period when, um, when self-mortification, injuring oneself and causing oneself pain uh, through a variety of measures was a lot more common as a form of tshuva, especially around Hasidic Ashkenaz and those who followed them. Nowadays, it's less common, so we're going to see that's, that's channeled here as well. He quotes um, the Mari Vial, the Misha Shalach Shliach Darko. you send the messenger on the way, right? Send this package for me to wherever. He dies on the way. 
It's your fault. It's not, it's not your fault per se, but you still need atonement. You still need kapara because it it's, uh, can be causally attributed to you. You, by sending this person on your errand, led to their death, you need to, res- you need to resolve it. What do you do? Fast for 40 days, meaning eat at night, fast during the days for 40 days. And if this person who died has children, obviously you should provide for those children. That way you avoid suffering. That'll be your punishment instead of, of uh, whatever other suffering you would get. And he brings a proof from the Gemara. The Gemara talks about um, David Amalek, right? King David, who was worried about the punishment he would get for various things he did, where the Nov, the city of the Kohanim, Novi Arkohanim, and Doi and others died indirectly because of what he did, what he led to. Not that he wanted them to die, not that he did it on purpose, but he's still responsible. He's not, he's not poshated, he didn't do anything irresponsible. Since it was caused as a result of his actions, he needs to get punished. So we see that's David Amalek, that's a proof to this approach. So even though you didn't do anything wrong, this person died doing your, your, fulfilling your request, you should fast for 40 days and support the family. Um, and right, um, fine. And uh, right, the Shutzemach Tzedek quibbles with this. He says, "Well, you know, you're paying him for his work, this messenger, right? You say, you know, I'll give you a hundred dollars, send this letter to here. So it's not really you. You're not taking on. It's not really you who caused it. It's really them. They chose to take on the risk of what they were doing for the salary. So really, it should be on them. But even so, he says, Still, even if you're paying the person." And they took on the risk willingly and for compensation, you still need to do tshuva as well. So that's, you know, even though it's almost counterintuitive, you would think not, and yet still you should take that responsibility. And then he quotes further from the Tzemach Tzedek um, about the story where someone's walking, um, uh, someone's walking with their helper person and it's very cold. They, code it, they, they take a break, they stop in an inn and they say, okay, let's keep going on the way. And this, the helper gets, uh, feels weak again the person goes ahead to get help, doesn't remember exactly where they are. Point is, the helper person, by the time they found him, he was already dead. And what degree of responsibility does this, uh, you know, does the Mishaleach or the, you know, the, the person who would hire this helper have for, the, for, their, uh, for their life? And the Tzemach Tzedek says, this is, you know, it's Ones, it's not your fault. And even so, you should fast for 40 days. Not only that, the Kol Yom Sheni Mishavuah not only fast for 40 days straight, but then also every Monday for the following year, you should fast. And you should also fast the rest of your life on this uh, couple dozen days every, every year. Um, more similar things, there's Panamiros talks about people playing with guns. She's and uh, you know, they pulled the trigger a few times, nothing came out, and then someone pulled the trigger and killed someone. And um, Right. Now, obviously, a reminder that uh, guns are a dangerous things and people should be, you know, be very safe around them. Uh, that's you know, old news. Um, we see it already in this tshuva from uh, a while back. But the question is what tshuva one needs to do. And uh, he quotes the Ramos talking about also injury, injury involving a, a weapon. Um, and he says, It's called, it's carved on us. It's almost totally not your fault. Okay. And he goes, She's found the book of Ereshana Samima. So, okay, since it's not really your fault, all you need to do is say vidui, say special vidui, you know, apologizing uh, and confessing your role in this death for a year. And you should fast from that point until after Yom Kippur. We don't know exactly how long that is, but whatever, probably a few months. Every year afterwards, fast on that day. The people paskin in that basis. So more and more of these, of these tikune uh, tshuva, these ways of tshuva that involve fasting and the like, it goes back to the Sefer Rokeach, a follower of Hasidi Ashkenaz, who goes into great detail. And he says, if you kill someone, um, you should move around, like lose, leave your residence, never stay in the same place two nights, uh, do that for a whole year. Or you should be restless, never stay in the same place two consecutive nights for a year after you kill someone. Um, and, um, or he talks about a, a woman who accidentally smothers her baby. Horrific uh, circumstance. But um, she should also... Uh, fast for a year, every, uh, every day for a year. And, um, and certainly if it's mazed, if it's intentional, it's much worse, much worse, but you certainly need to do tshuva in all of these ways. 
um, more and more stories of different Akronim who deal with these issues, people who really, no fault of their own, really are trying to do something good, and it leads to someone else dying. It sounds like someone accidentally scared someone else into having a heart attack, and they died. And again, you should really, um, you should hear you know, the Marami Lublin in this story where the person has a, has a heart attack uh, after someone tried to confront him to support some student and scared him. You didn't want to, you just wanted to confront him, you know, civilly, but he scared him and he had a heart attack and died. You should fast for 40 days uh, straight and then fast three days a week after that. Um, not sleep with any pillows all year except for Shabbos and Yantif. Um, only shower once a month. Um, he should lie down by the, uh, right, people should trample over him. He should stand, like, lie down on the entranceway to shul. All of these very intense uh, mortifications. Um, you should, his seat in shul should be behind the door, so he shouldn't really be in shul for a year, etc. And um, he says, These are, you know, you know, uh, bewildering or crazy how, how severe these things are. And even so, this is someone who did it by accident, someone who has all the excuses in the world. They're trying to do something good, and yet you cause someone to die, even not really through any fault of your own. This is the severe form of tshuva you need to do. So his conclusion from this survey, which again, we just saw in short. Right, the great ones of the earlier generations, the, the powerful ones. Different approaches, some more severe, some less severe. Hundreds of years ago, they were very uh, stringent with this. Our bodies are weaker. I don't know if that's true empirically, but uh, that's what he says. Our bodies are weaker nowadays. Our hearts are weaker. We're, we're less able to take this sort of punishment. That seems very true. We should minimize our fasting and mortification. That's not our approach, right? The approach of Hasidic Ashkenaz, we should do less of that nowadays. We primarily do chuba through learning Torah and good, good deeds, not through fasting and suffering. Here's the ruling. There's two different scenarios that we need to distinguish. If someone really did nothing wrong at all, they didn't even know they were sick. They were following all the regulations. They got someone sick. He had no reason to think he even had a chance of being sick, and yet he spread it to people. That's total ones. It's totally not your fault. You don't need to atone it yourself at all. What should you have done? Right? You can't. No blame at all. Hello. He was doing a mitzvah. Let's say this person in the old age home in the in the right. He was trying to help people. If that's true, right? If it's true, even though it's not your fault at all. You should fast on Erev Rosh Chodesh, Yom Kippur Katan, say the extra prayers of Yom Kippur Katan, Erev Rosh Chodesh, the Meshach Shana Rishona for a year. If you can't fast the whole day, fast half a day. You should learn in memory of those who died. You should give a lot of tzedakah. If the families, uh, you know, the families uh, need. Uh, need support, you should help them privately. Right, the merciful one, God, should atone for the sin. That's if you did it, no fault of your own at all. There's some degree of irresponsibility. Someone in your family is sick. And still you went to the old age home to work, despite the fact that you know that your relative is sick and you should stay home. You should be more stringent. Keep all of these restrictions. Elish, he's on it. I mean, everything mentioned before. He's on it. Af tanis behab. You should also fast tanis behab. Right, a three sequence fast after Pesach and Sukkot. The yashlim taniso. Right, you make sure to finish your fast. No half fast. Do the whole the whole thing. Right, do additional tshuva and prayer. Say vidui every day for killing a person. You should also try to fix what you ruined, meaning you ruined someone's health. Try to fix on that front as well. Help with visiting the sick and supporting that. Saving lives, uh, comforting mourners. So try to function in that area as well. So we see Rav Usher here, after going through the whole history and saying we're going to be less severe, which he certainly is, still takes this very seriously. Right, The idea of being responsible for someone's death, even if it's no fault, and certainly if it's a little bit of fault, is something that shouldn't just be waved away. He has a whole series of fasts, and but but more so 
tshuva and chesed and trying to rectify what one did. Um, but I think this, you know, both both halves of the of this tshuva, both both tshuvos here, by Ravasha emphasizes this idea that you know you can't just wave away the fact that you got someone sick. Number one, you'd be responsible financially if that were relevant, but even more so, you're responsible spiritually, even if it's not really your fault, even if you didn't do anything wrong. The fact that you're causally responsible, that your actions led to another person dying, is so uh, should be so horrifying, should be so mortifying, not in the literal sense. But the, the expectation should be that there's a real tshuva to be done here, and that's uh, that's sort of Usher Weiss's approach here. I think we see a balancing between the pastoral elements a little bit, right? Trying to make sure the person recognized what he did, to have the not just quote from the Rishonim who have all these harsh uh, forms of punishment that say do all of that, but modify it a bit, given that that's been the the trend recent centuries. That's been the shift to focus on things, but to really emphasize there's the uh, there's no excuse for getting someone else sick. Uh, and 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 ultimately dying in this case, especially if you had any any way of knowing or any reason to uh, to be able to avoid that, and uh, this is something people need to take very seriously in terms of in terms of their tshuva as well as in terms of uh, financial recompense. Um, so that ends our series. Happy to take some questions here if there are um, questions or comments on on this or on anything in the series. Uh, if not, if not, we'll go. Uh, We'll go to Evie for some announcements. Okay, thank you so much, Rabbi Zukier, and thank you to everyone who joined us today here on Zoom. Um, we continue our uh, spring program uh, this evening with our second uh, Piyutim of Shavuot class. Uh, it's at 8 p.m. with Dr. Laura Leiber. You can also find more information on our website at www.dreesha.org classes. And thank you again, Rabbi Zukier, and everyone who attended today. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming classes at Drisha.